You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Amen. Isn't God great? Yes, we can definitely shout for praise and glorify Him. Thank you, praise team, for leading us. Awesome time of worship this morning. I don't know about you guys, but fall brings an assortment of new foods to my table. Um, One thing in particular that comes about this time of year is apple dumplings. Anybody know what apple dumplings are? It's a mini apple pie just for you. It's great. It's a tradition my family passed down, but it's around this time that I start really getting nostalgic and just missing, like, the way it used to be. And in my home, growing up, When it would come to, like, Thanksgiving or somebody's birthday even, we would find reasons to celebrate for just about anything. You know, we'd get together as our family would. And I had the privilege of growing up where my grandparents, both of them, lived about 15 minutes away from each other, rival towns. But, I mean, besides that, it's great. So we would go to lunch at my my grandma and pap's house and have a whole feast there, right? And then we'd go to my grandparents, other grandparents, my, my grandpa and my grandmother's house, 15 minutes away, and have dinner. You better believe we had food at both places. But like, I remember just leaving my grandparents' house and going, I cannot think about food. Like, I ate so much. And there's just so many meals that they had and so many great um, desserts that they would make together. But then now that, uh, now that time has passed, uh, both my grandmothers have since passed away, but I try to bring some of their traditions, some of their meals into, into my home. Have any of you guys ever tried this? You tried finding that recipe that you know, your grandmother always used to make, and you try making it. And you know what? It's good, but it's not, it's not great. It's not the way you remember it, right? Has anyone else experienced this? OK, there's a good amount of hands here. And sometimes it's just because the recipe was like, you pour this much milk in until it looks like eh. And I'm like, what is that? What does it look like? What's it supposed to look like? You know, and stuff. And it's just like, why does this not taste the same? Why is it okay, but it's not the way I remember it? And is it just because, like, ingredients were better in the 1900s? Which that makes us all feel old, right? (laughs) You remember food in the 1900s? It's only a couple years ago. Like 24. Anyway. (laughs) But the point I'm getting at is this, is that I I think I found out why food doesn't taste the same. And maybe not to that standard as my memory. Is because I think I found what was missing. Because I would try and have that food or that meal made, either by my wife or by myself, and we try and make it so that we can enjoy, selfishly, what it was back then. We're missing the ingredient that our grandparents used in each and every one of their meals. Because to them, it was not a meal. It was not a recipe. Everything was made with love. Everything was made with love, with who they were. And I think that's what made it taste so good, was that it was my grandmother's baked mac and cheese. It was my grandmother's, like, apple pie. That was what was special about it was because you knew that they made it with love and lots of butter. (laughs) You all know that's the secret ingredient too, right? Okay, add more butter. Uh, 
But if you would, please open with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to talk about a missing ingredient today. In chapter 12, we had learned that there are these spiritual gifts that God has specifically given to believers, to the church, to use to unify them together. But they're different gifts. And he used the illustration, like a body has different members, has different body parts, so the church has different gifts, different parts that need to work together in unison in order for it to be unified. And as the church, we have many members. We have many different gifts that God has given to us, and it is our opportunity to be unified together so that it edifies the church and edifies God. And now before we talk about this missing link here, let us pray and ask God's blessing over our time in his word. God, as we come before you, as we come worshiping you, you are great and awesome. There is no other name on earth or in heaven that should be worshiped as much as your name. God, it is your name that we are saved. It is your name that we are sanctified and changed to be more like you, even here on this earth. So God, change us today. Work in our hearts today. Make us look more like you, and I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So if you've been following with us through 1 Corinthians, you realize that church can get messy sometimes. Our church, the Corinthian church, they were a little messy, a little immature, a little lacking in this area of love. And so that's why today Paul is seeking to address this issue within their lives, within spiritual gifts, and that's why we have 1 Corinthians 13. So follow along with me. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, and then we'll talk about this missing ingredient of love. It says this. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul here lists five different gifts, spiritual gifts, that God had given to that first century church to use. There were many more gifts that he had given, a whole plethora, but this was their top five pick. And I think if we were all to look through a list of, of gifts, of the spiritual gifts, we might gravitate one to another more than the other. But Paul here knows what the Corinthian church's favorite five gifts are, and he chooses to use them to show them that the gifts themselves are not bad, but your use of them is. And he brings up an illustration. I just love Paul how he brings up illustrations, how he brings up things that help concrete things in our minds. I brought a symbol. I don't know if you've ever heard a symbol by itself, but we're going to experience that together. Hopefully nobody leaves because of this, but we're going to experience this together. I kind of like just picture Paul doing this in a sense. He's, if you can tell, he's kind of waxing eloquent when he says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, what he's kind of going along here is the gift of tongues, which was given by God to the church for an individual to have this ability to be able to speak or interpret a language not previously known to them. What's interesting is, is that what one commentator said is, angels in the Bible have always spoken whatever the language is 
amongst the people. There is not designated an actual language for angels. So Paul is just waxing eloquent and kind of saying this. Someone coming in and using the gift of tongues inappropriately might say, I spoke with the angel Gabriel the other day, and he was saying, kind of noisy, kind of annoying. Moving along, prophetic powers. This is the ability to share a specific special word from the Lord. That person might say, wow, I must be pretty special to have a word from the Lord for you. Trying to get it? I'm going to stop ganging that because it's actually getting on my nerves, okay? Understanding all mystery and all knowledge. The ability to be able to share a specific truth for a person or an instance or dilemma within the church. And that person might come across and say, my IQ, you were asking? Well, I don't know what it is because I wrote the test. Gone, 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 okay? You get the point? He's over-exaggerating for this purpose to say there are ways that we can use our God-given gifts that are actually not helpful, that are actually not edifying to the church at all, and instead, we just sound like this. Now, I'm not saying symbols are bad, because we use them a lot within our service, and we can use them for worship, right? They add a great element of celebration to our service used correctly, correct? Yes, absolutely. I'm going to leave that there as a visual. But when they are used inappropriately, when they are used selfishly, when they are used without love, Paul says, it is better that they wouldn't be used at all. Nothing. They are like nothing. They are no good for you. Paul, in his past, I look, and he had experienced this very early in his life when he used to be called Saul. You guys remember Saul and his life, who he was? Saul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. In the history of Pharisees, he basically put himself out there saying, I was pretty much the best. Not saying it, but like that's pretty much what I was. In Judaism, he was considered a very spiritual person. In Philippians chapter 3, this is what he says about that time. 3 verse 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. What Paul is saying here is that he had found in his life that no matter how long you live or how much you try, you're not all that in a bag of chips. Okay? It's not all about you. It's not all about your gifting. Because where did you even get that gift? From God. And he said, I have come to find that I have to remove my pride remove myself, and look to Jesus. And that is the surpassing worth. Because all that other stuff is gongs and cymbals and just loud noise, and and Paul puts it, rubbish. Sometimes we chase after a lot of rubbish, don't we? And Paul says, I don't want you to live that life. I want you to have the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And this is why he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, just the verse prior to these verses here that I share with you, He does say, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. It's not bad to desire these gifts, that you would be used by God. It's not bad to desire these things, as long as that is used in the proper context, not to make yourself look good, but make God look good. But he says this, he says, I will show you a still more excellent way. The excellent way is to use love properly. So let's look at the true identity of love, verses 4 through 7. 
It says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And if we go into verse 8, we see this. It says, love never ends. Love never ends. Many of you have heard this set of verses read before, typically at a wedding. And they are a beautiful set of verses that truly define what God's love is. Now, Paul, at this time, he's not talking about a marital love. He's talking about something different. He's talking about God's love. Now, no doubt, the illustration, the example of God's love is important to have in a marriage. It is a sacrificial love. But have you noticed in English, it sometimes gets difficult defining between how somebody says the word love, right? And they have their own idea of what love looks like. For instance, I can say, I love fishing, which I do. I can also say, I love my wife, which I do. And I can also say, I love Pennsylvania potholes. All of them, I use the word love. One, I use sarcasm. It's important to know which one it was, otherwise I'd be in trouble, right? <laughs> in Greek, there are four different words for the word love, and they mean different things. There is philea, which is a brotherly love. This is a, a feeling of connection, of unity, that we both like the same thing. We can be friends kind of love. There is eros, which is a romantic love, like a fire that needs to be kindled. It, it is a feeling that needs to be worked on and, 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 and fed. There is storge, which is a little bit more circumstantial because it is a family love. You kind of can't, you know, disconnect yourself from family. You can try, but this is stronger love. But then there is the word agape love, which is considered God's love. It is based on his character. It is based on a choice. And this is the love that he defines in verses 4 through 7. If we can look at that list, Paul shows 16 different examples of what God does look like, eight that do look like God's love, eight that do not look like God's love. And that helps us dis define, you know, what love actually looks like. For instance, if we just look at the one column, what love is, okay? Love is patient and kind, rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, never fails. Now, who does that look like? If you looked over to your wife and whispered, that's you, cute, good job, nice points there, okay? This looks like Jesus, doesn't it? Love is patient. Have you watched Jesus with his disciples? <laughs> A bunch of fishermen? that tried to be spiritual, and he's so patient with them. Kind, the woman at the well who had a bunch of other husbands, the woman caught in adultery, Jesus was so kind to people that we would say didn't deserve it. Rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. This is a picture of what Jesus indeed looks like. Whereas we look at the other side, what love is not, what love does not, if we're honest with ourselves, you know, it, it's easy to look at that list and go, 
Yeah, that's, that's a lot of me. That's a lot of me in there. But the thing that Paul is bringing up is that this one side, the left side of this list, can be us. But not by trying harder. How do we, how do we practice this agape love? How do, especially when we don't feel like it, right? Because we don't always feel like being patient and kind. I felt that way when I was about nine years ago, and then I had kids. I learned a lot that I'm not as patient as I thought I was. <laughs> Definitely not as kind as I thought I was. But God has been patient and kind with me. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, the author says this. He says, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is how we love. This is how we look more like Jesus. We look to Jesus. We see his love demonstrated for us. And we look to him as our example. We ask him to change us from the inside out, to be more like him. It is a process. It is a maturing that takes place. It is not instantaneous as we would like it to be. It is a process. So today's one thing from 1 Corinthians 13 is this. When we look to Jesus, then we are able to love like Jesus. When we look to Jesus, then we are able to love like Jesus. Because when we look at Jesus, we see that Jesus, in his love, chose us. We see that love is a choice. Love is not merely a feeling. See, God chose to show his love towards us in Jesus. God chose to give us some spiritual gifts to use in the church so that we could love others and show our love to others and using these gifts selflessly in the better, for the betterment of the church and for the world. Because when we use God's love correctly, when it's lived out in our hearts as his kids, God gets so much glory and praise. And on top of that, the world around us is changed because we chose to love like Jesus. I kind of imagine God up in heaven when we come to know him as our Lord and Savior, we trust in him. That's when we see in scripture that he gives us these spiritual gifts. I can kind of see God up in heaven and saying, hey, Susie, I'm going to give you the gift of serving. You are going to get no greater joy than to help people and be behind the scenes. Bobby, I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to give you the gift of teaching. I know they consider you an introvert, but I am going to show off my power in your weakness. I just picture these beautiful opportunities that God is, is working in each of our lives, giving us these gifts, not for our own glory and make us feel better, but ultimately that we would be used by God. And that we would, like Jesus, the joy that was set before him showed love by sacrificially dying for, for us. We get to experience the joy of, of Jesus when we use those gifts in love. That is a joy that we have to do and experience. So whatever your spiritual gift is, I encourage you to learn about it. Not just learn about what it does, how to use it, but look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and how he used it. 
and then follow that recipe because the result is like grandma's apple pie. It's made with love, and it's amazing. And you get to share that with other people. Paul, as he's going down through this 16 different characteristics of what love and what love is not, he gets hung up on the last word. And we find it in verse 8. Love never ends. I'm going to see him define why love never ends. So if you would look with me there. Verse 8 through 13, he says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the practice, sorry, the partial, will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see it in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Paul gets hung up on those three words. Love never ends. God's love never ends. And I kind of picture Paul almost as a parent going to their child and getting on their level and kind of getting ready to break some bad news to them, right? I kind of picture Paul doing this with the Corinthian church being his kids. He's like, hey, church, that gift that you got, that you love so much, guess what? It's, it's going to go bye-bye someday. <laughs> and if the, kids, if the church is like my kids, they're like, because why? <laughs> See the church saying that, right? Because why? And he said, because heaven, in heaven there is no need for these gifts anymore. Because why? Because prophecy... We don't need to hear from you a word from God. We can go right to God. Because tongues, not going to need this interpretation of what somebody else is saying because we'll understand what everybody says. Isn't that an amazing thought? Because knowledge, we aren't going to need to hear from you what it is that we're supposed to do in this instance because our brains, our minds, our hearts will be completely free from sin and we will know everything that we need to know. Faith, we won't have faith anymore because our faith has become sight. We will see God. Giving, we won't have need to give anymore because we'll have all of our needs met. Nobody will be lacking in anything. That is because why. Then he uses an example of a child who used to speak this way he, said, he uses himself as an illustration. He says, as when I was a child, I spoke this way, I talked this way, I thought this way, I reasoned this way. And guess what? As things should, I matured. I changed. I don't speak like a child anymore. I don't talk like a child anymore. I don't reason like a child. There is a new maturity. That is what this is like. Heaven is going to be that totality of maturity where we will come to a place where we have arrived. But right now, we only see dimly. We are, right now, we only understand as we are growing and maturing along this progressive track. But he kind of says this. He kind of says, we don't stick around, if I can pull it on my pocket, with these. 
You know what these are? The pacifier, the life-changing agent in a parent's life. <laughs> Not for them, <laughs> but for the kids. That, that's it for them, okay? But you know what? It's kind of crazy. Pacifiers, great if you use them. Some parents decide not to, so they don't actually have to take it away. That's, that's fine. That's your choice. You're parenting. That's cool, okay? We used them. Don't judge me. I like sleep, okay? And in using them, here's the funny thing. They do say, doctors, at an early age, you've got to take that away. Why? Because parents are now, because why? <laughs> and they usually tell you that you have to take these away right as soon as they start sleeping through the night. And you're fearful of what taking this away is going to do. But at the same time, do you see an adult with one of these in their mouth? It might be a cool social experiment, by the way. See what people in the mall do if you just stick this in your mouth, walk around. Just saying. But he's saying, we don't still carry around our pacifiers, guys. We grow. We mature. We learn how to love. We learn how to live differently. And because this love has an eternal impact, not just on heaven, but on your day-to-day -day life. In 1 Corinthians 13, 31, he says, So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three but the greatest of these is love. You know, sometimes we focus too much on those pacifiers, those temporary childish things that we love here in this world that aren't going to be in heaven someday. And Paul's encouraging the Corinthian church, hey, you need to, you need to chuck the pacifier. You need to crow up a little bit. You need to recognize that these gifts are for a time, they're for a season. You need to use them well. But understand, someday, the only thing that matters is God's love. And how are you loving like God today? He also says this, love never ends. And the Apostle John, he says this about love and why it never ends. He explains it a little bit more clearly. In 1 John 4, verse 16, he says, So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is Love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. See, God didn't invent love. God is love. God's definition of love, we've already seen. Patient, kind, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, never ends. It is in his character. It is in who he is. Is why he can say God is love. And because God will never cease to exist, will never go away, love will also never go away. It is not a feeling that comes and goes. It is part of his character, his nature. Also, what we see within this verse is that whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. And I have to ask this question to you today. Is God's love abiding in you? Have you, at one point in time in your life, received God's love for you? Have you received God's love for you? Have you accepted Jesus, his gift, his sacrificial gift of dying on the cross for your sins? Have you stopped and accepted that love? Because you can try and fake loving God. You can try and fake loving other people. 
you know what? You can fool me as your pastor, one of your pastors. You can fool people around you. Great job. But the only person you're really fooling is yourself because you're not fooling God. God knows. And I don't want you to miss out on the opportunity that we all have of abiding in God's love. Because if you don't have God as your Lord and Savior, then you don't have the, 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 the complete opportunity to love like Jesus. And on top of that, if you were to die today, you would not be allowed to go to that perfect place that I mentioned before called heaven. Because that is where God's love is. And if you did not receive God's love, then you go to a place, the only place on earth that there is no love. And that's a place called hell. It's a lonely place that separates us from God's love. God doesn't want you to go there. He loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. But just like God had a choice to love us, and he did, we have a choice to receive his love, and that's, that's on us. And that it comes by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So I'm going to look to that one thing again. When we look to Jesus, then we are able to love like Jesus. So I'm going to read a little bit more from 1 John chapter 4. I don't have it up on the screen. I just want you to listen as I read. It says this, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation, it is the payment that was required to suffice the wrath of God. Because with perfect love, there is also wrath. For those who hurt your children, you've experienced this kind of love. You love your kids so much that you are willing to intervene and take blows for your child. It is a sacrificial love. But this accepting Jesus, what does that mean? It, I, I could spell it out this way. If you haven't done this in your life, you'd like to. It's three easy steps, and this is what it is. It's admitting that you are a sinner. Do you believe that you don't look like God? <laughs> That's basically what it is. Do you believe that you sin, that you fall short? If you do that, then you can believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he is the example of love for you. That he died paying for your sins fully, and he rose from the dead. If you believe that, the next step is easy. It's calling out to God and saying, God, would you forgive me? God, would you save me? Would you become my Lord and Savior today? That can be done within a prayer right there within your seat. And then we can rejoice with you because you are a child of God. Because you now can experience God's love, not only for this life, but for all of eternity. That is worth rejoicing in, isn't it? So blessed to be able to have an assurance that God loves us. God's love is for you. He loves you. He likes you. He made you. And if you haven't realized it, he has a desire to give you gifts that, you, that we don't deserve, right? 
but to use them to show off how good God's love is. So if you're here today, and you do have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, here are a couple conclusions for us. Um, And at this time, I'd like to invite the praise team forward, because I'm just going to quickly go through these. But if you have Jesus, this is something I want to encourage us to look into. Maybe a recipe on how we can look more like Jesus. Is The first one is, I choose to love my God-given gifts of blank. I have a couple fill-in-the-blanks today. I hope you guys don't mind, because I believe the Holy Spirit to be in your hearts, and I believe that he can speak maybe more specifically than what I can speak today. But what is your spiritual gift? And will you say, I choose to love that spiritual gift because God gave it to me? You have an opportunity to learn a little bit more about your spiritual gifts. You can go online. We have a free spiritual gifts test. It's not, you know, perfect, but it will give you these different ideas of what your gifts could be. Okay? The next one is, I choose to use God's love in my gifts by. Once you learn what that spiritual gift is, go and find a way to practice it today, tomorrow, this next week. And then lastly, is I choose to grow in my love for God by. You have to ask yourself the question, what is the the temporary pacifiers that I am holding on to that I need to chuck? And in what ways do I need to give those immature things up and hold on to God's love? God's best for your life. Let me pray. God, I want to thank you for your word today. I want to thank you for your love. Lord, what a reminder that it is. Lord, that we can love like you because you abide in us. God, it's not something that we do naturally on our own just because we're good people. It only happens, God, when we look to Jesus. And when you change us from the inside out. So God, I do pray that we would love like you. That we would honor you in our love. And God, that this recipe that you've given us wouldn't be missing the ingredient that you intended us to use. And that ingredient is your love. And I pray this in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.